In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show josh jacobs ceo and co-founder of impact museums and jenny weinbloom head of studio at impact museums talks to us about the company's present which includes being part of the team that's brought immersive van gogh around the country and the company's future which adds immersive theater stem museum style experiences and more to the mix We'll be talking to them at the Lighthouse in Los Angeles, uh, right there in Hollywood. And then we have a chat with Eric Shamlin, head of entertainment at Media Monks and this year's chair of the Producers Guild of America's Innovations Award Committee. He'll be here to talk about the process behind the award, which will be given out this coming Monday, and the shape of the immersive industry from his vantage point. Speaking of Eric Shamlin... A funny thing happened during the usual due diligence setup for the show. That's where I check and see like, oh, who's been a backer and, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, things like, oh, you know, Jenny Weinblum and I, you know, worked on Leia at the beginning, you know, so there's disclosure for Jenny. Uh, and so with Eric, uh, turns out uh, Eric's been a sustaining backer of NoPro for months and months and months. You should have been hearing his name in the credits forever now. Uh, and, uh, how that one slipped by me, I don't know. I'm usually pretty good about it. And, uh, as you'll hear, uh, Eric, Eric is a friend and I've known him for years now. So, uh, just the whole pie, the whole pie right on my face. Um, so there you go. There's, there's your disclosure. There's your due diligence. Um, not the only thing to talk about at the beginning of the show here that before we jump into these wonderful interviews, these are really good. It's a really good double feature here. Uh, the no pro book club is coming up on the 15th in the discord at 5 PM Pacific, 8 PM Eastern. Uh, the topic is going to be a snow crash. So hop in, get, get your, get your read on, get your talk on going to be a lot of fun people. I've seen the signups go into the discord, click on the link, uh, and uh, RSVP should be a good a bunch of folks. I, I, I'm not participating, but I'm going to hang out and listen. I want to hear what everyone thinks about the book. Uh, on the 21st, so not this coming Monday, but the following Monday, our DIY Publicity 101 for Immersive Creators has two sessions open, just 10 seats a session. I'm going to go over the fundamentals of uh, PR and publicity for Immersive Creators, uh, virtual worlds, the whole the whole nine yards. Uh there's a discount for no pro backers, and this is going to be a small seminar limited to just 10 people. So uh, really, it's about getting a chance to pick my brain. Uh, I have seen it all in the quarter century I've been in the media. So uh, if you want to get some insights and figure out uh, how to be more effective as you're promoting, we'll go over all that. If you've got some questions about crowdfunding or, or social media, I can get into that as well. Uh, but we've got a presentation and uh, the presentation will be about, uh, you know, about a third to a half of it. And then uh, a big old QA session uh, for everyone who wants to, to dive in. That's on the 21st. Uh, 30 bucks uh, is what it is, two hours, and uh, there's a $5 discount for no pro Patreon backers. All right, that's what's up. Now, Catherine has your headlines. This is Catherine Yu, executive editor of No Proscenium. Here's what's in your immersive headlines for March 11th, 2022. Area 15 has announced that it will open a new location in Orlando, Florida. Located off Interstate 4, the new Area 15 Orlando will be an approximately 300,000-square-foot structure situated on 17 acres with more than 150,000 square feet of leasable retail space. Their first location opened in Las Vegas in 2020 and is home to Mealwolf's Omega Mart and more. This new Orlando location is expected to open in 2024. Secret Cinema has announced a new immersive theater experience created with Marvel Studios. The popular UK-based company will be bringing the world of Guardians of the Galaxy to life. The upcoming experience is expected to open in August at a secret location in London. 
The Guardian's immersive event is reportedly the first of a planned three-project collaboration between Disney Studios and Secret Cinema. Secret Cinema is also currently running an immersive ball set in the world of Netflix's Bridgerton. March 11 marks the first day of this year's South by Southwest. The tech, film, music, comedy, and education conference and festival is welcoming in-person guests for the first time since 2019. While we haven't heard of any large-scale immersive events in Austin like in previous years, there will be a pop-up installation from Meow Wolf and some other immersive activations based on TV shows like Atlanta, The Boys, and Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls. Over in the metaverse, popular VR game Walkabout Minigolf has announced a brand new downloadable content course based off of Labyrinth. That is right, a new mini-golf course based upon the 1986 fantasy film starring David Bowie will be released this summer for Oculus platforms. Developer Mighty Coconut is teaming up with the Jim Henson Company to bring this iconic world to life in VR. Lucas Martel, head of Mighty Coconut, says they're creating a, quote, entire virtual theme park with a mini-golf course attached, end quote. Speaking of theme parks, Super Nintendo World will be opening at Universal Studios Hollywood next year. The expansion to the park will include a ride, an interactive area, and themed shopping and dining areas as well. No further details were provided as to what the ride would be, but hopefully it's the same Mario Kart-themed ride which is currently at Universal Studios Japan. Plus, the Los Angeles Times' Todd Martins files a review from Galactic Star Cruiser saying that the two-night live-in experience could possibly change the way we vacation in the future. Martins discusses the importance of play in his review, and raves about his time aboard the Halcyon, stating, quote, Galactic Star Cruiser succeeds where no ride ever has. Whether it's doing breathing exercises with a rock, or making friends with a stormtrooper, it makes the experience feel created just for you. End quote. These have been your immersive headlines. So uh, we're here with now. We'll do. Well, we'll, do, we'll just jump into the pot, right? Um, we're here with Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hey, and Jenny. Hello. Uh, who you got the full names on in the cold open? We are here inside the Absinthe Room inside the Lighthouse Los Angeles. Uh, is that right? Did I get that? Perfect. Good. Okay. I always. I knew what it was, but I like to pretend I don't know what I'm doing. It's the Colombo method, so watch out. It's all the absinthe we drank before we started recording. You said that was locked up. Um, <laughs> so, um, for those who don't know, what is the, the where are we right now? And then we're going to get into Impact Museums and your relationship to this space. Awesome, I'll take that. Um, so, we are in the absinthe room inside Lighthouse Los Angeles, which is currently showing the immersive Van Gogh. Um, experience and we'll be adding a, an immersive Frida Kahlo experience in a couple of weeks inside this space. So adding, so going to be in rotation. Then. Yeah. They're going to play in rep. Um, some surprises in store, but yes, we'll, uh, <laughs> Van Gogh's going to continue to play for, uh, for a few more months here and, and Frida will be ramping up and, and taking over. Okay. Okay. That's th- I'll, I'll, I'll pepper you with questions about that. That's, that's nerd inside baseball stuff. So as I understand it, this space is actually kind of like a collab between the, the, the creative who do the Van Gogh and Impact Museums. Am I getting that right? Like how, how do these entities work together? Because I think that's something that particularly, you know, if you spend any time online, you see a lot of, you know, ads for Immersive Van Gogh. Uh, but how these entities yeah. Piece together. So to answer that question, I, I kind of have to start with the Impact Museum. Side Absolutely. Of it it'll, it'll help, I think, bring a little color to, uh, to all of this. So Impact Museums has uh, what we like to think of as sort of a left brain and a right brain component to the business with a, a creative studio driven part of the business that, that Jenny and my partner Diana um, are, are responsible for. And one of the things that we saw when we started the company early on was that there was an amazing amount of creative talent in this industry. And this pattern that we saw over and over again was people would create a show and they'd, they'd open it up, they'd have some success with it, and then it would kind of stall out and it was very, very hard for people to get to a second and a third and a fourth market. And 
in general, if you look at the, you know, the last 10 year sort of history of the space, you have a lot of really, really incredible um, experiences or shows, but they tend to be, we think of them geographically as, you know, Meow Wolf in New Mexico or Team Lab in Tokyo or in whatever else. And there really hasn't been a sort of repeated pattern of, you know, what I sort of think of as the global blockbuster that we think of in the music industry or we think of in, in the, you know, in the film industry. And part of the reason that, you know, that we saw for that is that there just isn't a lot of infrastructure in place for standing up, operating, um, moving immersive experiences. And part of that is because it's such a new space and there's so much different creative tools in the arsenal that what would a distribution strategy look like for you know, one of these kind of things. So what what we realized is that in order to achieve the the level of scale that we wanted to for the experiences that we were working on in the studio, we really needed to invest in thinking about how does one build a global distribution platform for this kind of entertainment. And so the other half of our business is really focused on that idea of partnering with amazing creative teams to help them grow bigger, faster, and get to more markets. And Immersive Van Gogh is amazing in that, you know, while there are a number of different companies around the world that are putting on some version of a projection-driven uh, Van Gogh show, it's really kind of, you know, maybe the first experience that I can think of in, in this genre that's played in five continents, that's, you know, done 15 or 20 million ticket sales and where the, you have a cultural zeitgeist moment that was literally shared around the world. I've seen pictures of George Lucas coming out, I think the one in Chicago, right? You know, a hundred percent. And, you know, and you saw Emily on Netflix going and visiting, yeah. it in, you know, in, in, in Paris and it's, it's been in Australia and, and the rest. And so I think what we see is there's a global appetite for this kind of entertainment. There's a tremendous, tremendous amount of, of talent and energy going into creating great experiences. And there's this gap in how do you go from amazing creative to at scale creative that's reaching a global audience. And so that's the second half of, of, of what we focus on. And so to bring this back to the original question, um, Lighthouse Immersive is a company that was started by um, a group of creative producers in Toronto who have a, um, a really amazing vision of they saw an opportunity to bring projection mapping in a mainstream way to North America um, and realized, I think very smartly, that if you could build out a network of venues that were capable of doing really high-end projection mapping and do so in a way that was fairly standardized, then you could go to the creative community and say, you can build a show and immediately get to 20 cities on this platform and you don't have to go reinvent the wheel for every show for every city and hire a new staff and buy projectors and all of the other work that goes into that. And so in the context of our platform business, we partnered with them um, and said, we'll go open up a bunch of venues in that network with you and you guys do the programming and we'll go find the real estate and hire the staff. and do a lot of the operational stuff to bring this stuff to life. So Los Angeles is the first of five venues that we opened together last year. We have two more that are in construction right now. Um, and what this basically represents is a, a partnership where we're helping operationally, they're helping creatively, and there's a Venn diagram and there's a lot of overlap in the middle <laughs> of the Venn. Yeah. But, but at its core, it, it, it's really about for us a case study in this idea that partnering with creative people can allow us to build much, much bigger audiences, much bigger reach than either party can on their own. Now, Jenny, you know, you're, as you pointed out, you haven't actually been on the show before, but I've known you for years. And I think a lot of the listeners are familiar with the work you've been a part of. So, you know, tracing back to the helping open up Sleep No More in New York and being, you know, lead on Convergent Station uh, through its development, uh, you know, while well, it was the development phase of that Meow Wolf project and working with the Speakeasy Society here in L.A. And so you you your position here is head of studio. And so all of these different types of experiences you've you've dealt with over the years is is that 
blending in here into your work Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So on the studio side of Impact Museums, we're really focused on storytelling. And our goal is to tell a rich diversity of stories through the through a rich diversity of immersive mediums. Um, and all most of our projects sit somewhere at the intersection of art, entertainment and social impact. We're looking to tell stories that are emotionally engaging, rich, uh, rich story worlds uh, that ideally do have a connection to impact Josh, you'll, I'm sure, talk a lot more about how we think about that. Um, and we really pull from the entire immersive toolkit in our thinking about the medium at large and how we tell stories. Um, so we're not, I'd say our definition of the word museum is loose, as is our definition of the word impact in many ways, in that these are, these are broad terms that can hold a lot within them. Um, and we have projects in development right now that are immersive theater. We have projects in development right now that are large-scale physical exhibitions. We have projects that are in the VR, AR, mixed reality space, projects that are interactive gaming concepts. There really isn't any space in the broader immersive world that we're not interested in exploring. And that's true both within our studio, where we create original work, um, and as well as in our operating platform that Josh was talking about and the kind of partnerships that we're interested in engaging in. Yeah, and I would just add, I mean, we use the word studio um, really deliberately in, in, in setting that up because I think part of what we saw, and you know, I'm going to be a broken record on on the idea that we're we're really just blown away by the amount of creativity that we see all over the world around this. And and the the realization was that in a studio model, you're building dynamic teams around specific projects where there's passion, where there's expertise, where there's this is the right set of you know of brushes and 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 trowels that we want to pull out of the the kit for and and so we designed that piece of the business specifically around the idea that we could bring different groups of people together for projects that would have amazing skills and if it warrants immersive theater great let's go find the best people for this project around that and make them part of that project um was the thinking there and, and we feel a story is the driver, right? Our first step is to identify what is the story being told? What are those narrative goals? What are those educational goals where that's appropriate? And then from there, what's the appropriate medium in which to tell that story? What form do we want to utilize um, to share that story? And then that helps dictate, okay, who's the team we need to bring to the table? And I essentially function as a development executive. My, my role is about um, building the best possible creative teams for the projects that we're developing. Uh, guiding the ideation of these projects and the uh, setting up the creative life of the project and carrying it through its lifespan. Um, for us, that really is about identifying who are the right creatives who are going to bring the story to life. I want to, in a minute, I want to get into the impact side of impact museums because I think that's, you know, it's it's a, it's a big word and and there's a couple of ways to to explore that. But I'm kind of getting interested in this moment in you've got this big hit with the Van Goghs and a lot of people have seen this and this, this business model of finding a way to have there be a stable way to build this workout and this audience gets developed and yet something like a projection map show and something like the kind of work the speakeasy society does, or even the kind of, you know, interactive space that a meow wolf builds. Like we, we all in immersive know these are, apples and bananas and oranges, right? But they, they fit inside, like we've got a produce market, but these are different fruits. Do you see what you're doing as part of brand building to grab that audience? Or is this more about the internal expertise about working in these formats and, and developing the taste of the organization and thus the form almost, not that it doesn't matter, but it, 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 you're not trying to sell bananas to apple eaters. Right? Yeah, so... God, that I, metaphor, I, sorry. I know, I'm hungry now, for sure. <laughs> we'll see if we can figure out what to do with the fruit salad here. Um, so I had this really funny moment. I have a 10-year-old nephew, and I, I, I called him up um, around the holidays, and I said, what do you want for Christmas? And he said, I'm collecting experiences now. And <laughs> you know, I said, well, you just found yourself in my fundraising deck. But um, <laughs> you know, so it goes. Um, the, um, but but I, I, you know, I think... When we, we look at the apples and oranges and, and bananas and the rest of it, the part that I think that 
we come back to over and over again is that the commonality among these things is the shifting behavior in entertainment from a passive audience member to being an active participant. And it's, you know, all of these things are phone out. Um, I'm taking pictures, I'm interacting with my friends, the experience is different because I'm here in a social setting and I'm interacting with other people. And whether that's an immersive theater you know, piece or a projection mapping piece, they share that commonality. And so I think at its core, we believe that there is a cultural appetite for these kinds of things that can be participated in as opposed to viewed. And when we we look at the different mediums, I, I, I go back to something that, you know, that, that Jenny said, which I think is exactly right. We, we want to entertain people, we want to educate them, and we want to inspire them. But it's in that order, right? That by entertaining and by, by building something that people want to come to, bring their friends to, bring their family to, have fun at, you get the opportunity then to show them other things, to teach, to, you know, et cetera. And, and what I think Jenny has really brought as a, as a discipline to the, to the whole process is the notion of sort of, okay, what is the story? What is the connection that we want to make with the guest that's going to inspire them or connect to them in, in, in some kind of emotional response kind of a way? Okay, what's the best way for us to achieve that? And, and when you approach it that way, we're not a projection mapping company or a theater company or a fabricated built environment company. We're a storytelling company that wants to succeed in delivering a message by taking advantage of the broadest range of apples, oranges, and bananas that we can possibly marshal to achieve that objective. And that objective is, is ultimately an impact on the visitor as opposed to a, how do we fill this room? I also think that each of these immersive mediums are kind of gateway drugs for one another, and there's no singular kind of scaffolding of those experiences. Mm. For me, I'm a theater person. I came into immersive via immersive theater, and I didn't know that I would enjoy VR experiences. I wouldn't have guessed that I would enjoy escape rooms or LARPs, but through that kind of gateway drug that for me was theater, I came to explore this broader world and and get deeper into the total space. Some one else what's yours josh <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm laughing because we we joked going into this about the whole left brain right thing bright brain thing and uh my gateway was stem museums like the lawrence hall of science and the yep. exploratorium <laughs> in the bay area and you know so just had to make my nerd point how, how many how many uh how many space shuttle uh cockpits and dinosaurs did you crawl around at the lawrence hall of science way too many but yeah it's you no, know the answer is not enough there's not, not enough. never enough never enough <laughs> birthday parties at a physics museum is a pretty dorky thing did you ever get to do what was it the tactile dome tactile dome oh. we used to three four Pat times out, a year boom yeah 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. okay yeah Barrier nerds right here. I so love you got to understand. Beautiful. You grow up in a certain place, a certain way. <laughs> there's just there's just things. So, but I'm just gonna say with that that at the same time, someone else's entry point into this larger space might be immersive Van Gogh, and they are you know, this person is interested in visual art experiences, and they're not familiar with the concept of immersive necessarily. They wouldn't seek out the work that Speakeasy is doing, mm -hmm. let's say, but they get this gateway drug experience of, oh, I actually love being in a total encompassing world in which kind of all of my senses are being engaged simultaneously and I'm in communion with other guests and I'm having this like group cathartic experience. I'm into that and I'm going to seek out more things like that. And then suddenly this person is seeking out other kinds of immersive experiences. There's so many different angles through which someone might find this work. And I just sort of love the thought that like we we're not kind of gradually baiting an audience to come from one part of the immersive world and then invite them gradually deeper and deeper. Rather, we're casting a net in every possible direction saying, Do you, are you interested in this space? Are you interested in being totally consumed by story with a role to play with it, with the opportunity to engage with it and engage with others? Then there's going to be something for you in this in this space and what we're creating. And probably from there, there's going to be a lot more. Let's jump into the impact side of impact museums. And I think you probably touched on there, the STEM museums in the Bay Area, yeah. the Lawrence Hall of Silence and the and the Exploratorium, which the Bay Area crowd will will know, at least of a, of a certain age, the Exploratorium. Is it did it 
go away they completely. Move. They move. They're, they just move. They're they over didn't... on the uh, right near Pier Thirty Nine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so another early experience. Yeah. Walk. Walk us. Walk us through this. How. How. What. What do you. When you say impact in that sense, what do you. What are you talking about here? Are you talking about uh, experiences that move people to a cultural call to action? Are you talking about education? There's. There's so many roads here. Yeah. So. Uh, I think w- one of the reasons we really like that word is that it um, it stands in in a number of different spaces that are that are really important to us. And I I'm speaking personally because I think every single person who's joined the company has their own sort of interpretation of what the word means to them and and, and why they joined. But for me, there there very much was this thing of growing up um, and and having these amazing science museums around me that you know, literally shaped my whole life. I learned to program computers at the Lawrence Hall of Science at a summer camp when I was seven. And, you know, the whole first half of my career as a software engineer traces back to my family thinking, you know, dump Josh at the Lawrence Hall for the weekend and he'll be happy. Um, and the, you know, it's it, in a very bizarre sort of bookend circumstance, the very first uh, programming job I had professionally was building the software for the multimedia lab in what became the Tech Museum of Innovation in San Jose. Yeah. And and so, you know, I, I think the the through line for me, you know, was was first and foremost that museums have been educational and cultural centers in all of the communities that I've been in. And when I look at the immersive or the experiential uh, toolkit, the thing that really struck me is you you have these amazing vehicles to make emotional connections to people. What are you using that for? Are you using that to get a great post on Instagram or are you trying to push through, you know, further beyond that and say, how can I take advantage of the fact that I've got this mass market entertainment medium that's capable of being educational, that's capable of driving cultural um, change, cultural awareness, et cetera. And so for me, there's there's little eye impact, which is I want anybody who comes to any one of my shows to leave feeling like, wow, you know, something cool just happened and it made an impact on me personally. But but as a company, what we you know, what we really looked at is we said we want to take on stories and, and opportunities where we can um, we can inform people and we can inspire people to make a difference in in their own community so above and beyond simply the i had an amazing experience or i spent an hour doing this i also left with a greater awareness of of what i can do in the world and and then as a company and this is really the third leg of it as a company you know we look for opportunities to you know, we, we, we literally have a statement in the founding documents that we're guests in the communities that we go into. And in every city that we go into, no matter what cause it is that, you know, that we're, we're talking about or no matter what show it is that we're promoting, there are people who have been in that community who have been doing real work on the ground in that community to make that community better. And we want to show up and say, how can we help as opposed to showing up and say, how can we suck the air out of the room? And so it's a huge part of, you know, what we've tried to do in our partnership with Lighthouse in every single city that we've gone into together, as well as the ones that they've gone into without us. We've built programs in every single one of these venues to connect them into the community and to do things to create benefit for the community in and around it. And so to me, impact is all of those things. I want you personally to experience it. I want our company to tackle big challenges and try to move culture. And I want to make a huge difference in every community that we operate in. Is that something you're you're measuring? That you have a, a metrics set up for? Like I think of the way participant media uh, pursues some of their work that way. They they, they talk of a dual ledger yeah. uh, in their approach. Yeah. So the, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of terms like double bottom line and yeah. dual ledger and, yeah. and and the rest of that. And we do track and um, and it is something that we um, that we pay attention to as as a metric. Um, and, and it's also something that, you know, that we look at in every project that we're working on where we're, we're just asking the question, what's the educational goal, which is softer than how many jobs did we create or how many dollars did we, you know, did we donate, um, which are real and important metrics that, that we look at. But we're also sort of, you know, looking at this question of I, somebody quoted to me once and I'm going to get the, the stat wrong 
and it doesn't matter because the, the magnitude is what matters. Mm. Museum of Ice Cream had something like a billion social impressions in, I think it was their first three years. Um, and you, you think about that reach, and I come from advertising and media, so any number with a B in front of it <laughs> is generally considered good. Yeah. Um, and you know, and you sort of think about the, the, the amount of impact that, that you can have just in changing what people think is cool or what people think it's okay to pay attention to or what people get curious about and want to learn about more. When you start talking about the ability to have a billion people see something a friend or a family member of theirs posted and said, this is cool, this is worth paying attention to, et cetera. And so I think there's a soft side to this that's equally as important as that double bottom line entry, which is really, can we change in culture what people are talking about to get them talking about, caring about, and paying attention to things that are meaningfully and impactful in their own communities. And some of our projects in the studio side are rooted in very specific social impact themes. And those are projects that cleave a little more closely to the traditional museum space. And something I'm very conscious of is I'm not interested in subverting the museum. The museum is a is a social good, and I am happy to exist in a world that has museums in it. I am interested in evolving the museum, though, and and thinking about how, and, and the museum industry has already has been doing such a beautiful job of this for the past few decades, um, especially in science museums and history museums, but, you know, getting more and more interactive and participatory, story-driven, and, 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 and frankly, entertaining. But we're thinking about how can we center the pedagogical goals of an exhibition without in any way detracting from the entertainment value of the experience at large. And so when I was talking before about bringing the right folks to the table from a creative standpoint in a project, we're also thinking about bringing the right folks to the table from a subject matter expertise standpoint, mm -hmm. making sure our project teams are staffed with genuine subject matter experts across a diversity of backgrounds in a specific field um, or, or, or body of work um, who can really guide us in finding okay, what are the educational goals of this project going to be? And how do we make sure that while we're busy making the most badass immersive experience possible around that theme, we are always staying rooted in authentic, fact-driven storytelling that has a real value to the audience and hopefully to the subject matter itself. The implication here is that you've got a lot of irons in the fire. So what's we were busy. Yeah. <laughs> what's 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 the medium term here in terms of the the direction for the studio and for the, the company as a whole? Yeah. So we have a few different projects in active development right now that really couldn't be more different from one another. And and uh, unfortunately, I've got Josh sitting next to me right now, <laughs> so I can't I can't spill the beans. Right. Um, but but they. It's it's just really ex it's it's exciting to me thinking about you know projecting let's say two years into the future um, that we will you know, I'm knocking wood as I say it but uh, everything goes as planned we're going to have projects in the market that are in the immersive theater space we're going to have projects in the market that are in the science museum space uh, or or closer to that space projects in the market that are interactive and gaming driven and in in multiple markets internationally. Um, and we also like to think a lot about each project that we're developing. And this I, I am learning from my uh, tech entrepreneur friends here at, at Impact um, is, is thinking about them in terms of versioning and, and really evolving, evolving them not just through our R&D process um, and, and our development process for the project itself, but evolving it as it scales to subsequent markets. So that, I mean, hopefully the version of a show that we launch six months from now, and the version of that same show that we launched in a different city 16 months from now, I hope it's not exactly the same show. I hope we'll have learned a lot along the way and keep improving on it and growing it. Yeah, and I'll just add, I mean, you, you threw the metrics word out, so I'll, I'll you know, bring it back. Um, the, on, the, on the platform side of the business, I think the thing that we, we really look at is that in, in the last couple of years, there have literally been well over a thousand you know, what we would sort of describe as experiences launched just in the United States. And the vast majority of those never get past a single city that they, they play in. And, you know, I think I look at that as the challenge that's getting our platform team out of bed every single day is, 
every single one of those projects represents somebody bleeding out creatively and doing just absolutely amazing work that isn't getting to the scale of audience that you know that we think a lot of that work deserves and there was this movie when I was a kid called Roadie, and the tagline was, the bands make it rock, but the roadies make it roll. And I've been inspired <laughs> by that my whole life because I have absolutely no musical talent. Um, <laughs> but I love putting on productions, and I love helping people get on stage. And I think you know, when I look at the, the midterm to, you know, to long-term for, for this business, that's the really interesting metric is how many projects got to a much larger, much more deserving audience because we had a model that helped them get there. And some of the some of that has to be, I don't want to say the word standardized, but some of that has to be finding a, a lingua franca for mm-hmm. moving these things. I mean, just Absolutely. just the idea of packing something up and sending it off, like for a for whatever's at the Pantages right now, you know, we'll move on to the next city. But the the road version of an immersive show, that's that's a hard nut. I, I think no, I think that's right, and I think probably the the biggest. Um, misnomer is that there's going to be a one-size-fits-all venue mm-hmm. and maybe there will be right maybe somebody will put so much capital to work on a global basis that you know that they can define a de facto standard like a movie theater or or a concert hall but i think you know even if you look at the music industry the you know there's a difference between a club and a stadium and um you know and the it, the skills that are necessary and the process around doing a show and, and all the rest of that are you know are different things so i think we we look at this as a there are going to be multiple models for how things reach scale what those things will have in common is that you're going to want to be able to build and and invest in a plan that looks beyond the first city that you open up in and whether that's thinking about how do i design my physical assets so that they can be broken down put on a truck and move somewhere else because a touring model is going to make sense whether it's I want to partner with one or more networks of facilities that have invested in certain kinds of, of hardware and technology so that I know if I build a show, I can run in 10, 20, 30, 40 places. We think there will be multiple vehicles for that. But ultimately, I think as you start to see, hey, if I do something that fits into this bucket, I at least know I can play in 20 cities. Um, that will also change the creative side a bit. And, and so there's a, there's a give and a take here between the platform builders and, and, and the show builders. Uh, and I'll, I'll just add that I think something that we're doing that's really rare in the theme entertainment space um, is that we are setting ourselves up and, and, and becoming a, we are the design firm, the IP holder, the owner operator, the fabricator, we're increasingly holding within a single organization, uh, the producing entity, kind of all of these different roles on a project that I can think of about two other companies in theme entertainment that are doing that much uh, within a single organization um, versus kind of each thing along the way uh, being a radically different team, which I think is really, really exciting. And we talk a lot about vertical integration in relation to this. And um, yes, with our partnership with Lighthouse, we have a venue network and there's a future in which we have more venues and a larger venue network and both with Lighthouse and and independently um, and potentially other partners. But, um, and we will be creating work on the studio side that is created with the intention of being able to move through that venue network like a like an old school vaudeville circuit and can just kind of keep moving through through the, those venues but at the same time we will also always be developing large-scale flagship properties that are highly custom that can't move into those spaces and those projects will have their own bespoke venues in in, in cities and whether those projects are are permanent or semi-permanent or or not uh, regardless they will have the opportunity to have a a space kind of designed to their needs so i think we're part of how we part of what we're doing right now as we're building our studios pipeline is really looking at okay how many of these highly custom projects are we doing at once and how many projects are we doing that are that are going to utilize this network and um planning accordingly and I'll say with that, you know, I mentioned the IP holder side of it, and which I think is so exciting that we are developing a lot of original IP in-house. But we're also in a lot of collaboration with other 
uh, IP holders as well. And something that I'm finding really, really exciting um, looking at our overall studios pipeline and the kind of conversations that we're having uh, across the board that there is such having been in the immersive space now for 11 years mm -hmm. I've seen it go through a lot of changes because bizarre in bizarrely in this kind of brave new world 11 years is now an eternity then and that's true yeah, yeah. and and I'm seeing this kind of new frontier right now where everyone is seeing the value of tapping into immersive experiences. Really, really surprising parties are kind of raising their hand and saying like, I wanna be a part of this phenomenon and I want my story told in this space. I wanna collaborate in this space. It's pretty cool. That's, that's been an exciting thing to see. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would just add to that. I mean, I, th I think it, it, it plays back to that notion that we're, we're going through a a shift in how people think about entertainment and you know sight sound and motion of of film and television is interesting adding smell and taste and touch and all these other dimensions into stuff you know and thinking just broadly about entertainment with six senses instead of three is amazing and um who wouldn't want to as a creative person add more tools to to how they can express themselves so i i think that's totally right and yeah, and I think, you know, to bring it back to your question, the thing that we want to see happen is we want to see all of that creative energy know that it has a channel to, to get to a global audience. I think that's a great place to leave it off because I could crack into like three or four more things and go nerdy for a few hours, but I mean, we can do that another, another time. Uh, Josh, Jenny, thank you both so much for hopping oh, on. Thanks us. for having us. Thanks, Noah. Total pleasure. For the past few years, the Producers Guild of America's Innovation Award has been one of the most inspiring and indeed hope-giving awards I've found in all of awards season because of the dynamic range of projects that are pulled together. We'll have everything from a major studio down to folks who are working by themselves in their basements. Joining us this week on the show is Eric Shamlin. He is the head of entertainment at Media Monks, has been a member of the Producers Guild for eight years, and this past year has been the committee chair for this year's PGA Innovation Award for 2022. Uh, Eric's also a friend of the show. Eric, it's so good to have you on the show for the first time. No, it's a, it's a delight. I've been a big fan for quite a long time. You know, I've known each other for a number of years and it's fun to sort of make my debut, so to say. Yeah, no, it's 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 great. Just disclosure, like Eric and I are buddies, we'll we'll go out to dinner sometimes. It's one of those things, and it's funny because I got the I got the press release in for the award as we've done for the past couple of years, and I was like, oh, you know, it'd be nice to talk to someone like on the jury, and and the PR folks came around, and was like, oh, this is Eric Shamlin. I'm like, oh, you are kidding me. So, yeah. um, so I was like, yeah, please, let's let's do this. Um, yeah, that's fun, and and conversely for the for the listening public. Um, I also host a, an immersive festival in China, and Noah was one of our guests of honor um, a couple years back, pre-COVID, and it was quite a delight to kind of hang out in Qingdao, China, together. Yeah, that was as the uh, Sandbox Immersive Festival, and it was uh, it's still it's still a treasured treasured memory for me. Um, okay, so. As I mentioned, the Innovation Award is got this high dynamic range. So maybe you could lay out without, without delving into like the individual projects. So there's, there's 12, 12 projects that are up, possibly up for the award right now. Um, what's the mix here? Because this is a pretty dynamic mix of of projects. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of forces. There was a confluence of many forces. I think uh, in the industry. You know, technology trends, consumer trends, a global pandemic uh, that sort of played into the selection this year, I believe. Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I know, Noah, you're, you've been kind of tracking this for a number of years. And, you know, it, it, it was kind of breathtaking, this band, quite frankly. And it was and it led to a lot of um, 
robust debate, I'll put it that way, on you know what sort of qualifies or is uh, of the bar that we're trying to set or hold. Um, and the mix, you know, it spans. I think uh, the shiny toy this year was like AR, augmented reality, and uh, but there were a couple of VR projects, and, and VR has you know been kind of a staple the last four or five years. Uh, but then I think due to the sort of COVID COVIDness of the situation. Uh, we had a, a bunch of projects that were kind of live stream, you know, sort of Zoom calls, you know, narrative Zoom calls, so you could say, it, like multiplayer, you know, kind of theater in the round almost, but done uh, over video conference uh, technologies and, and quite innovative there. And then uh, some were other, you know, choose your, choose your own adventure or choose your own narrative um, live streams, you know, just, uh, and so it really, really spanned a, quite, a, quite a range. Yeah, there's almost like the full breadth of anything we might remotely ever cover at NoPro and then beyond that as well in here. Um, and, and, and we are talking about, you know, there's some major studios like full-on Hollywood studios who have projects in here. And then we do have these, you know, really small, like two, four-person, you know, team type projects happening how does the jury um what can, how does how do these things catch the jury's eye and, and 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 what are the threads between something like a major studio project and say something that's happening from you know individual ar artists who have banded together for a social impact project yeah it's a valuable question that was something we kept going back to with both the committee and the jury along the way um, and, you know, to sort of set the table a bit there, I think there were upwards of 40 submissions we had to go through and ultimately narrow it down to 12 finalists. And there's a temptation, I think, when people hear about that to think that we compare them to one another. And that's, that's kind of a strict rule. We don't, you, you judge each mm. project on its own merits. Um, and there's active deliberation discussion. We all review the materials, you know, this year with, COVID, you know, it was a bit harder, but, um, you know, we did our best to make sure all the jury, jurors were informed and, you know, and that allowed the debate to happen, but we don't get into comparative analysis so much. You know, we don't, we're not comparing an indie with a studio. We're just like, does, is this project achieving its own goals? Um, the PGA has kind of a lens, you know, we're not, you know, a film festival or an indie, you know, indie art house. Um, you know, we're, we're a professional guild. And so it's what projects are pushing the needle at kind of an industry level um, that, you know, we can definitely see setting a trend for, you know, producers sort of writ large um, over the next few, next few years. And so that's a key component of it. Is it, is there an industry metric of innovation or uh, invention, so to say? On that note of, of things setting, sort of a waypoint for the industry. What does this crop tell us about where things could go? Because that's always the trick with innovation. It's it's a glimmer of possible futures. Exactly. I think what uh, the commonality on these were um, accessibility or availability. Um, we've turned a corner with some of these immersive technologies that they're more broadly available than they were just even a couple of years ago, you know, through the advances of you know, mobile phones or you know, location-based entertainment, museums, um, you know, they're, they're just more widely available, I think is a big one. Because as an industry, we're, you know, uh, we're trying to tell stories at the broadest possible level, at, you, know, you know, push mass entertainment, so to say. And obviously in, innovation or projects of this type are, you know, notably smaller or more niche in, in a very clear way. But do we see the path towards it impacting, you know, mainstream entertainment or mainstream storytelling. And so I think accessibility or availability for some of these emerging technologies is, was probably a key defining metric we went with. And particularly on, I mean, kind of obviously the, the sort of um, Zoom or video conference-based experiences that we saw, you know, that's, that was just a clever use of those technologies. And, and we're actually seeing some of those platforms start to, you know, uh, bring those features, you know, sort of choose your own adventure, you know, threading of videos and whatnot, we're seeing those features now actually become part of the products themselves, the platforms themselves. And so uh, we can definitely see this is, this is a medium that might likely, might likely, 
you know, take legs and we'll see versions of it throughout the future. As I'm looking at the crop, I'm also, you know, I'm thinking about how over the past few years of VR and AR and these explorations of, of digital storytelling, so much of, so many things, you know, over the past half decade have been maybe two steps up from a tech demo. And that's what's been catching the eye on, of, you know, innovation juries. In here, there's there's a fair amount of storytelling. There's a fair amount of people reaching for meaning and for performances. Is is that also something that you, you're you're finding or that the jury was sort of looking for, like not just, you know, oh wow, cool tech, but really this is using the technology to create a moment. Yeah, I think that was. It was a big theme of the conversations. Uh, we, we're not a tech award. We're a, you know, we're a storytelling award, if anything. And so there were a number of submissions that were you know, technically the first to do a thing, uh, to do some you know, new trick with technology. And you know, I, I think there are other awards or other venues for those. Um, that wasn't enough for the bar. It had to have story, had a narrative. Um, it had to, um, yeah, provide a glimpse on how that could, you know, be used by many producers or other creators. And just doing something first doesn't reach that bar. Did you do it first and achieve a storytelling goal? Did you do it first and lay a framework or a precedent for doing it well? Right. Uh, I think the sort of the gotcha, you know, land grab of just doing first isn't what we were looking for. Um, that's, that said, there are a number of, of them in here that also were true firsts, maybe in, in their technical achievements, but they also reached that, you know, the higher bar of, you know, immersive storytelling or interactive storytelling that we were really going for. Broadening out beyond just the, this, this crop of, of nominees, you work in this space, you've, you produce, you produce all kinds of technically enabled immersive productions, you know, that, that had LBE, you've done online stuff from your vantage point as a producer in this field, where do you see the, the trend lines running? Where, where do you see the, the, if, if not necessarily the heat, is there, is there a shifting of the pack? Is there a center of gravity that's starting to emerge amongst all of these options that we have? That's a really good question. I think I know I may, have where, I may have dropped something on your head out of nowhere, but like I figure, yeah. I, this is the kind of thing I would drop. Just so everyone knows this is this is the kind of thing I would drop on Eric, like IRL, right? You know, like like because because we often like get obsessed with like what's hot, what's new, but the heart of it, particularly for an industry, is where's the center of gravity? Yeah, what's going to stay? What's going to be meaningful? Yeah, um, because I feel like you know I've been you know I rode the VR bubble <laughs> like many of us. Uh, I was deep sort of deep in that one or writing that one. Um, and you've done, you've produced some wild stuff as part of that, you know? Yeah. I've been sort of blessed. I think, um, my, you know, I've been kind of lucky over the last, you know, half dozen, maybe 10 years to do some really fun, innovative, large scale projects. And, but I think, I feel like I've become sort of hype bubble immune and we can mm. talk about the metaverse on another call. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think there was a lot of hype when VR storytelling became a thing, maybe six or seven years ago. And I just remembered, you know, I think there is a new version of this. Immersive storytelling does, it is a new sort of language that has to um, evolve, but it wasn't without precedent. You know, like I'm a big gamer and games have been telling interactive stories for, you know, 40 years. And so you can lift a lot of the language or expectation um, from games when you get into interactive storytelling and even without giving it the gamification element, the points or scoring or lives, you know, the win loss states, um, there's still some amazing storytelling being done in games. And so I felt that was always something that, you know, VR purists sort of overlooked. And I was like, no, no, you can, you know, there's lessons learned and, and you can adapt. And I think that's, yeah, there's a whole genre called an immersive sim in gaming that people love and also aren't afraid of the immersive word you know like that there's no recoil when you're talking about immersive sims you're usually talking to people who are just can we get another deus ex you know like give me thief like please like um yeah you know, absolutely the, the, and even like just real dramatic tension uh the one i always like to um mention is uh, there's a call of duty 
game. I think it was Modern Warfare 1 or 2, mm-hmm. 12 years ago. And there's a kind of a legendary level where you are an undercover agent and you're infiltrating a, a terrorist organization. And there's a, a level where you basically have to carry out a mass murder uh, in order to maintain your guys. Now, they give you the option to not do it and duck it and avoid it. But there's a there's a real and they the way they pose the question or the challenge to the user is very, very poignant. It's a very heavy moment and there's no real gamification in that it's just like narrative and you you choose whether you go through with it you dodge it you you know you know you, they give you really meaningful options and so i always love to trot that one out because and i know it got a lot of like um debate in the media that you know call of duty is making you a terrorist and and whatnot but i actually thought it was just like really well done interactive storytelling where you get true stakes you know um, and so, yeah, not to sort of beat on that horse, but I, I feel like VR and immersive storytelling, AR storytelling, it can leverage a lot of those lessons that games have sort of pioneered. Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of like, so we go back to your original question. I think, uh, I think we are seeing that come to full maturation, almost to your, to your point just now, in that um, I think narrative, interactive narratives have always been sort of niche. And I think, there's a bit of a generational aspect in that now they've been out there long enough, you're starting to see more and more consumers want it. You know, they didn't even know they wanted interactive narratives because it wasn't a thing. And and now that there's, you know, a decent sort of uh, ground bed of, of, of narrative and history, interactive narrative and history of it, you're starting to get like a consumer demand almost. Um, and so I see that just picking up uh, more and more over the next few years. I think, augmented, you know, storytelling is going to be a thing, you know, you're going to have, you know, actors or, you know, animated characters acting out entire, you know, dramas in, in your living room due to augmented, augmented reality. And there's a lot of innovation going around that exact space right now. And, and some of of the democratization of the tools. And I, I also just think about the stuff that comes in at a at an oblique angle that maybe folks in film and, and television and even parts of gaming aren't realizing that's going on. Like I don't spend a lot of time hanging around the VTuber universe and yet that's a whole thing. And, and then the fact that there's all this stuff being made out in Roblox and, and all these other spaces that, you know, the next generation is going to, you know, just take to you like water and, even when we talk about things like the metaverse, you know, and, and the way there's, you know, Decentraland and Sandbox, you know, and, and, uh, and, and with the, a, a Sandbox other than the one you have, uh, like these other, these too many things, names, um, uh, you know, I, I also look at the precedents and I'm thinking of, you know, Club Penguin and Habbo Hotel and how, you know, 15 years ago there was, there were people doing this sort of thing, young folks, kids, teenagers, and it just kind of comes back slightly more graphically complex, but this desire to socialize in a digital space together has been with us for two decades now. And the emergent storytelling that comes out of that, some of that stuff is can often be really amazing and 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 profound in, in unexpected, very, very human ways. Yeah. Um it's funny. So, you know, I sort of remarked on the metaverse earlier, but it's it, quite frankly, every other conversation I'm having these days with, you know, big platforms and brand partners that we work with. And, you know, I'll, I'll be sensitive to some NDAs, but um, we were approached to do kind of a music award show, like a showcase, and they wanted to do it in the metaverse, um, particularly on, on Roblox. And we quickly realized, I mean, we're pretty, you know, we have a lot of, you know, employees that are, you know, big consumers of that platform and know that platform really well. And so, you know, we did a brainstorm on how do you do a you know, music show in, in Roblox. And then the, the sort of, sort of obvious epiphany is like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a narrative game if, for those that aren't really familiar with it. And to do like a show, like a passive sit back, watch show just didn't make any sense. It needs to be interactive. It needs to be explorable you know, it needs to have some kind of light narrative. And so that's what we ended up doing. We sort of unpacked it and uh, created kind of a animated adventure um, that 
you know, throughout, you know, key points, uh, celebrates, you know, these musicians. Um, and so they, they become sort of the ensemble heroes of, a sh- of a, an award show in a weird way. Um, I know that's completely broad and vague. Intentionally broad so, and vague? But, sounds kind of dope. So, um, but you'll, you'll, you'll start hearing about it here. I hope, you know, knock on wood, you'll start hearing about it as they promote it here in the next few weeks. But that was one that was kind of a unique challenge, just a creative challenge because it's, it's hybridizing or yeah, it's hybridizing mediums. They, you know, you want to tell a word show story, but it's in a metaverse platform and it's, it's a metaverse platform that's targeted really at kids and not just kids, but they're creator kids. They're kids that love to like build things. Right. Yeah. And so like all of that is kind of an incredible or interesting challenge, creative challenge. Like how do you make it in a way that just not speaking to those, those kids, but inviting those kids to play along and, and be part of the show. It's, it's a, it's a gloriously exciting time to be playing around with, with these edge cases, which quickly get moved into the center. So, um, the this is going to drop on uh, Friday the eleventh, and the uh, the awards are going to get announced the next Monday. So, um, which should be people keeping an eye on to to know the news. There's an event, uh, a PGA event in New York on Monday, uh, where all of the finalists have been invited. I don't know how many one will show due to COVID and travel, but um, the the winner will be given a chance to give their acceptance speech and. Um, I think, you know, I know they're all super excited. I was in direct comms with the home, with them the entire time. And I, I just wish them all luck and, and, and they, they should stand with their head very high. Cause it's a, it's a very, uh, very polished, very professional group uh, of creators uh, at all, at both ends of the spectrum. Well, Eric, thank you so much for, for hopping on the show this week and letting us know what's up and, and giving us a, a even wider overview of of the world as you see it right now. Thanks for having me. Once again, I want to thank Eric and Josh and Jenny for being our guests on the show. And of course, Catherine for handling the headlines. We're headed into South by Southwest coverage this next week. And uh, there's while we're not going to be on the ground, which which does seem to be disappointing this year because there's a lot going on in Austin. Everyone's roaring back. Uh, we're we're doing the remote thing, so we're going to be covering a lot of the XR stuff uh, that is starting to pop up. Uh, the platform opens up over the weekend, so you'll start seeing our impressions come out into next week. The review crew uh, who took a week off from recording uh we'll be back with a vengeance because there's a whole bunch of stuff they're out experiencing right now and uh we're i'm planning a few things on on the review side uh so uh just a, just a few uh I've got a, i got a few schemes in my back pocket so there's there's plenty coming down the pike um again book club on tuesday and uh if you uh the diy publicity session it's a good one. So uh, if that's if that's in your future, if any of that, or if you want to sharpen up, uh, there are still slots left. So swing on through, and um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll impart what I know uh, in those sessions. So you can find those links in the show notes. There's uh, there's there's plenty on the horizon. Uh, I can't think of any specifically right now. Uh, the the tenor does feel like it's changing it's a weird it's it's the weirdest time yet and the economy is of course going through all kinds of shocks and just know this that ain't gonna get any easier uh a very cheery tweet was like if you don't if you like the gas prices now wait do you see what happens to wheat in the fall um because ukraine's where a third of the wheat comes from for the planet so yeah fun times but um no one's backing off of our sector. So, uh, great. Um, that, that makes me happy. I feel kind of weird about being happy about anything these days. Uh, but it's, it's good to have things to be happy about. And you know what? Um, we do believe that this kind of work is, is soul affirming. So yeah. 
more of it. More people flock into it. People, people are looking for something more than the horrors of, of, of the world is transmitted by their phones and their flat screens. And, uh, turns out, uh, some of the folks in this creative community might just, uh, I just have the keys to the doors that leads to where people want to be. So there you go. There you go. All right. This entire project is made possible through the generous support of our Patreon backers. My life is made possible by the generous support of our Patreon backers. Somehow between that and an SBA loan, we have survived two years and uh, there's, there's more than survival uh, ahead but we do need your support. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. If we can grow this backer community, uh, we can branch out and do more. And uh, I won't have to go run and take a job in-house somewhere. We are not past the hurdle. Well, that is a thing that needs to happen. So please, if you can, patreon.com slash no proscenium. Join the likes of our sustaining backers, Ari Hurston, Chris Woolman, Eric Shamlin, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. The associate producer of this is Parker Sella, uh, who works for Lighthouse, by the way. Um, music for no person in, 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 not in Los Angeles though. Uh, music for no proscenium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan Lachlan for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu is the executive editor of no pro and does the headlines for this show and everything that is wrong with the show is my fault. I am Noah Nelson. I founded this insanity and until next time, thank you for continuing to wear the mask.